Hi, and welcome to Northampton Bible Church's podcast. We are glad that you're here today. If you'd like to learn more about Northampton Bible Church, you can check us out at nbchurchcf.org. You can also interact with us on social media at nbchurchcf. And now, here's today's message. Well, I'm glad to be with you today. We are finishing our series in the Gospel of John. This is week 23 of our series in the Gospel of John, and we had a break because of, our, uh, because of Christmas, but here we are finishing up. Uh, next week, I'll talk a little bit more about this next week. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about this at the end, but next week we're going to start a new series called Church Hurt, and looking at some things that I think will be helpful for us as the church, but also those of you that maybe have been in church and maybe been hurt by church. Uh, things like hypocrisy and gossip and judgment and those kind of things and looking at what the Word of God has to say and, and how we ought to, to walk in the things that God has for us. And so looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully today you're excited to be here. I'm always excited and I always say that that I'm excited, but I really am excited to be with you. This is a, a great time to, to be together and I'm glad that we can join like this together. And, but the question that sits before us today, the, really the thing, the idea that really sits before us all today is the question of when Jesus asks you to follow him, will you follow him? That we worked our way all the way through John and we get to the end of John and and we must decide by the time we get to the end of John if what John has set out to do is is, if he's done that. And really what we say is, is has God really, uh, have we seen what God is doing in the book of John and has that been enough proof for us to believe that Jesus really is the Christ? Because Jesus claims to be God. Jesus claims to be the Messiah. Jesus claims to be the only one, the only way to the Father. And as we said 23 plus weeks ago, we set out with this, that in John chapter 20, verse 31, John says that he's writing these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And in believing, you might find life. Real life. Real hope. That that's really what it's all about. That's why we talk and, and we get into the Word. That's, that's what the gospel is all about. It's that we might understand and, and know who Jesus is, and, and by believing, we may find life. And really, deep down, there really is no other agenda that we want you to know Jesus. And the reality for us all is that Jesus says, follow me. And some of us say, no way. <laughs> And some of us say, someday, someday, I don't believe it yet, I'm not quite there yet, but maybe someday I might be there. And some of us say, okay. Jesus says, follow me, and what we think, and we talked a lot about this last week, and what we think is that we've got to start acting right. Okay, following Jesus means I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to start doing all the things that I'm supposed to do, and try to look like I follow Jesus. I'm going to be a good person, and I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments. That's what Jesus wants me to do, right? What we find is that Jesus says, follow me. And in following him, that he changes us, that he transforms our life, that we learn that the gospel is not about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. And that's the hope that we have this morning. And that's the hope that we hold out. That's the hope that John has held out to us all. That Jesus is really who he says he is. And if you want to find life, it's in him. 
We really want you to see that it's about transforming your heart, about transforming your life. And it's a work of God completely from beginning to end. That should be good news to many of you because for some of you, at least, in church, you've tried to do the other route. Like, I want to follow Jesus and I want to be a good person and I want to try really hard. And it's not about trying harder. It's about surrendering more and understanding that I need to trust Jesus as Savior and follow him as Lord and let him change me. And so if you are familiar with the Real Life Discipleship, which uh, if you haven't gone through Real Life Discipleship, we're going to to make it, give you another opportunity to do that. And this is not some programmatic thing that we do, but it's, it's a resource, it's a tool that we use to help you to understand who you are in Christ and really what God has called you to do. So be looking for that. I want to give you this as a foundational verse that you need to see, that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so what it means to really follow Jesus is understanding that Jesus' call is a call to all. That he calls us to follow him. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. So in your notes, if you have your study guide, when he says follow me, really at the heart of that is, are you a follower of Jesus? And not just, hey, yeah, I know about Jesus and I go to church and I'm a pretty good person. Are you trusting him as Savior? Are you following him as Lord? That's the call of Jesus on your life, that I've surrendered my life to Christ, that I'm trusting in him for the forgiveness of my sin. I'm a follower of Jesus, that we don't, I don't like to use the word Christian, but that you would be a Christ follower. If you look at the book of Acts, they weren't called Christians, they were called followers of the way. May we be those kind of people. But to say that I follow Jesus is that I really do follow Jesus that I, when he says, I will make you, that I'm being transformed by Jesus. And this is one of the key things that we talk about a lot. Because I think what we've gotten confused in church is that we follow Jesus and then we try harder. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to try to keep the Ten Commandments. Just like I said, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to do all the work. And we need to understand that to be born again is a work of God in our lives. To be transformed is a work of God in our lives. It's not a, hey, Jesus, I got it from here. Thank you for saving me. I'll figure it out from here. He's like, no, just surrender your life, and I will change you. I will transform you. And ultimately, that we'd be fishers of men, that I'm on mission with Jesus. What's that mission? To seek and to save that which was lost, to, to make disciples who make disciples, to be faithful to the call that God has, has put on your life. If you're a follower of Jesus... It's not up to somebody else to, to make disciples. The way that you make disciples may look different than the way that I make disciples, but we're called to be disciples who make disciples. And so that's when Jesus says to follow me, that that's really what he means. And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. And I, I would encourage you, if you've never taken real-life discipleship, you've not gone through that, number one, it's 11 weeks, so I get it. <laughs> I get that it's like, wow, that's a long time. Uh, but as you get into it, you realize, I really need to go through this, and this really is making a difference. It really changes my perspective. It changes my heart, and so I encourage you as you see that to, to, get, to take part in that. But we all end up at this, this question. All of us will end up at this question of what will you do what, with Jesus? Is he really who he says he is, or is he not? And your answer to that question will determine, your, your eternity will determine everything.
And so this is where we are in John chapter 21. If you're not there, I'd encourage you to, to go to John chapter 21. That Jesus is about, he said to his disciples, he's about to leave. Then he's arrested, and he's tried, and he's put to death, and he's risen again, and people have seen him. I don't, I don't say that really quickly. I say that because if you've been with us, we've gone through those things. And in a few weeks, we're going to go through those things again because that's the story of Easter. But we get to chapter 1, and all of those things have happened, and now it's a new day. It's a new scene. It's kind of a, you know, people say it's no day at the beach. Well, this is a day at the beach. But this scene, this story that we're about to see is a story of redemption, and, and don't miss it. That's a story of God's forgiveness, and it's a story of God's mercy. And, and a lot of times what we want to do in the Bible is make it about us. We look at the story of David and Goliath, and then we talk about, and you need to slay the Goliaths in your life, and we make it about that. We look at stories of fire being called down from heaven, and we make it about that, that you do this in your life, and what you need to understand is the Bible is not about you. The Bible is not your story, that you're not the hero of the Bible, God is. And we look at these stories, this story of redemption, this story of mercy. This is not a story about Peter's redemption so much as it is really about God's mercy. That God is rich in mercy. And on this beach, you will see a redemption story that maybe is your story, or maybe will be your story. Don't miss sight. Don't lose sight of that. Because I think sometimes we get confused and we make the Bible about us. And hopefully you understand what I mean. That the Bible is applicable to our lives, but we're not the center of the story. And it's not all about us. And if I can give you another newsflash before we get into chapter 21, that your life is not about you. That my life is not about me. If I follow Jesus, it's really, it's all about him. God, what do you want to do in and through me for your glory? And so John chapter 21, John sets the scene. Jesus reveals himself to his disciples once again. Look at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way, that Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of, of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. So his disciples were there. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And so I just want you to take all this in real quick, to take in the backstory that, that these guys were fishermen, and they were experts in their field. But they've just kind of gone through this season that's been crazy. They were following Jesus, who they believed was the Messiah. They believed he was the one. And there was this triumphal entry and this betrayal by a trusted friend. And then they were almost arrested, and Jesus says, don't take them, take me. And he was put on trial, and he was denied by their leader, Peter. And the crucifixion and the resurrection. And all of this is the backdrop, and now they're kind of just in this space of like, what are we going to do? And they're over by the sea, and they're like, let's, let's go fishing. This thing that they knew everything about, that they were experts in, and Peter must still be their leader because he's like, hey guys, I'm going to go fishing. And they're like, hey, we'll join you. And they get in the boat and they go out there and they fish all night long. 
And what happened? They caught nothing. That's the story of my life when I go fishing. But I'm not an expert. I enjoy, like, I'll go out and, like, sometimes Nate and I will go out fishing, and I'm watching him catch fish after fish. And I'm like, what are you using? And I'm using the same thing, and I'm not catching any fish. But these guys were experts. Like, to go out and to get skunked all night long is unheard of. Like, they knew all the tricks. Like, we're going to go here. We're going to do this. Okay, it's not working. We're going to go here. We're going to do this. We knew. We, we know this body of water. We know where the fish are. And they caught nothing. So you have these guys that are no doubt probably frustrated, like, figure, like trying to, like, what is wrong with us? Like, we know what we're doing. Look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, John, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord, and when Simon Peter, this is, this is Peter, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in from the boat, came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards off. And so you have Jesus on the shore. This is after the resurrection. He had appeared to them a, a couple times, and here he is again, and he's about a football field away. He's like, hey, and they don't know that it's him. You guys having any luck out there? No. Hey, why don't you try to cast it on the, on the, the right side? Oh, the right side. Why didn't we think of that? And they did, and they obeyed, and they caught 153 fish after catching zero. And it re probably reminded at least John, like, you guys remember this one catch that we had that, that Jesus empowered, that we couldn't even get them in the boat? Like, that's got to be Jesus. And Peter's like, Jesus? And he, so he puts his clothes back on, he jumps in the water, and like, he's in a perfectly good boat. But he wanted to be with Jesus. This isn't a story of the disciples' ability to catch fish. This is a story of how Jesus is empowered them and made them successful that because of jesus and because of their obedience to what he said there was results i don't know where this slide went to because it's not in here but i'm going to give you this this is not even in your notes but they they failed so that god's power could be put on display sometimes in our lives we wonder why things don't work out the way that we wish they would have worked out Paul experienced that in his own life, that he, three times he asked God, God, take this away. And God says, I'm not going to take this away so that my power can be made perfect in your weakness, so that people can see me in you because you're weak. And Paul's like, well, then I'll brag all more about my weaknesses. And the same thing is true here is that they failed so that they can experience the power of God. Had they gone fishing and caught 153 fish on their own, they wouldn't have thought anything of it. But these experts experienced something that that they maybe couldn't have experienced any other way. They had to fail in order to, to experience God's power. And I want to say that you've experienced this in your life. I've experienced this in my life. Those circumstances that we really felt like we were in control and we realized we have zero control, that's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? thinking that we have control, thinking that we've, we're holding it all together and we realize that we have no control. 
that your best efforts, even though you may be an expert in your field, your best efforts add up to nothing. You walk through seasons where you feel like a failure. And some of you could get up here and tell stories about how you thought that you had it all figured out and you realized you didn't. And you may be doing everything right. And this is the hard part, especially because we think sometimes that if we follow Jesus, everything's going to work out just like we think it should work out. We're doing everything right. We're walking in obedience. God, whatever you say I'm going to do, God, I'm praying to you, I'm surrendered to you, and things are still out of control. You still feel like your world is falling apart, and you're like, God, but I'm doing everything right. It's like, I know. But my power is made perfect in your weakness. It's going to be okay. You need to trust me in the process. And the worst thing is, if we don't have a proper perspective in our pain, we end up in a place that we don't want to be in our faith. We said this before through this series, but I want to give you this again, that your circumstances, I would say may, maybe it's probably instead of are, your circumstances may not be something that you would choose, but there's something that God will use. That that failure, that, that thing that you thought you had it all figured out, that God is going to leverage that for his glory. That God is going to use that so that people can see him. That his power is going to be on display in your weakness so that people will know who he is. That's a hard lesson to learn. Because as we said before, we are all the heroes of our own stories. Think about the last argument that you had. Think about the, the last disagreement. that. Think about, you are the hero of that story. Even as you think about anything that happens, like we always put ourselves in that position. We have to understand that it's not about us. And this is difficult, and this has grown in us to, uh, to really come to this conclusion and really to walk in this, that God, it's not something that I would choose, but I know it's something that you'll use, and I need to trust you. That's hard. But that's what God calls us to, and, and often we don't learn this. We don't learn this until we walk through it, right? Like, we have to walk through it. You can read a textbook and say, I can give you this sentence, and until you have to walk that out, you really don't understand it. God allows us to walk through some really difficult times. God allows us to walk through failures. God allows us to, to think, man, we've got it all figured out. And for us to see that we can't do it on our own, that I can't do it in my own power. I can't do it in my own strength. I can't do it in my own efforts. That it's all about his power in me and through me. And it's hard because these are lessons that we can't learn any other way. We want to say that we can learn them. <laughs> But there's some lessons that we can only learn by having to walk through them and having to catch no fish, even though we're experts in the field. Having to feel like we're a failure, knowing that really it's all about who God is and what he's doing in our lives. But I want you to understand the truth, that in the face of your difficulties, in the face of the things that you're struggling through, there is hope. And that Jesus speaks hope into your situations uh, Boy, these are, my slides are all over the place. <laughs> hey, there's a slide I was looking for. There. There you go. These linear slides. This is a slide I'm really looking for. That somehow, someway, someday, it will all make sense. There is hope for you right here. I mean, there's hope for you in the Word of God. There's hope for you in Jesus. Understand all that. But hopefully this perspective will help you. 
that somehow, someway, someday it will all make sense. It may be three years from now someday. It may not be until eternity someday, but it will make sense. And you begin to see the pieces all go together and say, oh, that's why that happened. Oh, that's why we didn't catch any fish. Oh, that's why that person left my life. Oh, that's why. But you need, by faith, to say to God, God, I trust you in the process. I don't understand why this is happening in this moment. But I know somehow, someway, someday it's going to make sense. I, I know it. Because you're sovereign. Because you're in control. Because you've got a plan and I trust you. That God is going to work things out for his purposes. And as a follower of Jesus, hopefully your heart, your purposes align with his. And if they don't align with his, you say, God, change me to align with you. As opposed to, God, here's my agenda. Please align with my agenda. I mean, that's what we do with, with the Bible, don't we? Some of us at times, that if our lives don't align with what Scripture says, we want to change what Scripture says to align with what we think. I don't think that that should be a sin. I don't think that you're God, just so we're clear. <laughs> but that's how we treat things in our culture. That's even how we might even think. That I don't think that that's right. But I don't believe that we, because we're not God, have the ability to say, eh, you can cut that out. That we either align with the word of God or we don't. We don't have the right to say, well, let's get some white out <laughs> and make it say what we want it to say. But we say we believe what God says and we trust it. And understand, too, in these non-fish-catching, faith-testing, earth-shaking, sometimes earth-shattering circumstances, that the object of your trust, the object of your faith is revealed. That when you're standing out there, an expert in your field, and you're not catching fish, you begin to, it begins to be revealed what you really are putting your hope in. Often it's us. Often it's ourselves. Often I realize, like, oh, <laughs> I've been trusting in myself this whole time. In these difficult times, even our idols are revealed that I'm putting my faith in something or someone as opposed to God. And may you listen to what God is doing in those times. Because God is using these things to change you, to transform you. He's using your circumstances. It's not something that you will use, but it's something that God choose. You know all that words. It's not something you would choose, but it's something that God will use to change you, to transform you. And may you be sensitive to what God wants to do in and through you. And so this is the disciples' story as a whole. I mean, their failure... <laughs> Uh, their failure they thought was their, would be really has been their greatest strength, that they realized that in my failing, they begin to see that Jesus can do something far greater. And the story for us, that Jesus has a way of really stripping away our self-reliance. I've seen people in my life, and I'm sure myself included, where God has done a number in our lives where we're like, oh, I can't do this on my own. Oh, <laughs> It's all about your power in me. Oh, I get it now. Following Jesus means that our confidence is not in self, it's in the Savior. If I'm going to follow Jesus, it's not about my religion, it's not about me trying harder, it's about me surrendering more. And to surrender to his plan in the world, is to surrender to his power to complete it, to surrender to his purpose in my life. And this is Peter's story, and this is where we're getting to. 
If you know Peter, you know that he never lacked self-confidence. He kind of oozed self-confidence. He kind of didn't really, he didn't have a whole lot of self-awareness. There are people in your life that you know that are like this, and they don't realize that they don't know that they're like this. Lots of confidence, like jump in the water, like just run into the tomb. If you were there last week, we saw Peter just kind of just like jump right into this empty tomb, and it's kind of always like do and then think about it. But he seemed oblivious to his faults. He seemed like not really aware of his own sinfulness. Because if you think about it, he pledged allegiance to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I will stay more faithful than all of these guys. What does Jesus say to to Peter? Hey, Peter, by the way, I love your self-confidence, but you're going to deny me three times. Never! I will never deny you. No, you, you will. And later that evening, when Jesus said that, Peter is standing by the first mention of two mentions of a charcoal fire in the book of John. That he's standing by this charcoal fire after having said, Jesus, I will never, I will not be like these guys and fall away. I will not be like these, I will never deny you. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me. And not once and not twice, but three times, standing by this fire, he denies Jesus. You were with him. Nope, don't know him. (laughs) Don't know that guy. And in a moment, like a house of cards, Peter's life falls apart. Standing by that fire, saying with all this self-confidence, I would never, realizing that he is not at all who he thought he was. That his idea of how great he was, his perfection came crashing down. In a moment, Peter came face to face with the fact that he was trusting in himself. And he really was broken. And for you and for me, salvation begins where self ends. Until you're willing to surrender all. Until you're willing to accept that you are a sinner separated from God. Until you're willing to come to the end of yourself, you will not experience the forgiveness of God. Because until that point, it will be about you. Until that point, you'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's Jesus, but you know what? Let me show you some things that I was able to do, too. Until I come to the end of myself and say, I can do nothing. I bring nothing to the table. You'll not experience the forgiveness of God. Like, that was where Peter, Peter had himself on this pedestal. Jesus, I'll never. And then by that first charcoal fire, he did. And his world fell apart, and he was broken. Some of you, and I don't say this with any sense of pride, some of you need to be broken. Some of you have been broken pretty hard. But the beautiful thing is, is that God can take broken pieces and put them back together in a way that's better than they were before. And some of you can come up here and you would say, let me me testify, let me tell you how God has made a mess into a masterpiece. Let me tell you about that. Because God really does have the power to turn a mess of your life into a masterpiece for his glory that he can make beauty from ashes, that he can redeem, that he is a merciful God. 
Many of you have experienced that. But if you don't think that you need rescued, you will never seek a rescue. Or if you never think you're in trouble, you won't say, hey, I, I need help. Peter needed to be broken of his pride and his sin and his self-centeredness, and he was broken really hard. And the good news is, and the good news for him, and the good news for you, is that God is a God of second chances. God is the one who brings restoration. God is a God of mercy. And so this story is not about Peter and Peter's restoration. It's really about God's mercy, and it's a story that we all need to hear. Because I think many of us are like Peter, where we're like, we're not as bad as those people. <laughs> no, you're worse. You're a wretch. I'm a wretch. We need God's mercy. And until we come to that point where we realize that we need God's mercy, we will not really experience forgiveness. And so I think God had a way of recreating that scene, that night, now on this beach with Peter. In, verse, in chapter 18, he's standing by a charcoal fire denying Jesus. Now look what happens in chapter 21, verse 9. So Peter is in the water. He's on his way to the shore, not even sure if that is Jesus, but thinking that it's Jesus. When, he, when they got out on the land, they saw, what did they see? A charcoal fire. <laughs> that God is a God of mercy, that God is a God of restoration. It's as if, hey, Peter, I know that you messed up. We, we all know. <laughs> it's no secret. We all know. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give this opportunity for my mercy to be on display for you. So this second charcoal fire, there are fish laid out on it and bread. I think it's funny that it's interesting that Jesus already had fish. <laughs> Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Yet again, an example of with this resurrected body, it wasn't clear, like, we think it's Jesus? <laughs> so I don't, I, again, we don't have time to get into all of that, but understanding, like, there's something different about the resurrected body that, that they're like, we, we're really sure this is Jesus, but we're not really sure that it's him. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus had revealed that, to the disciples that he had been raised from the dead. You see that you see the provision of God in this moment and this long suffering and this mercy in this moment. And as this breakfast is winding down, here it comes. Jesus turns to Peter and imagine, I mean, Peter's excited to see Jesus, but you've been in this situation where you've let somebody down and you have to face him again. You're like, Hey, hey, you. Good to see you. I mean, I got to imagine that's, that's kind of welling up in Peter of like, hey, Jesus. No longer is it like, hey, Jesus, I will never, I will never. Hey. So verse 15 when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Here's the opportunity. Here's the second chance. Here's the new beginning. Here's God's mercy. That first fire, Peter denied Jesus three times, and it says if Jesus is giving him an opportunity to really uh, to say otherwise in this moment. But again, it's not about Peter saying otherwise. It's really about God's mercy. Because what Peter deserved is not what Peter got. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, <laughs> three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you wherever you want to go. Do not want to go. And this he said to show the kind of death that he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. At this redemption fire, Jesus asks him directly, Peter, do you love me more than these disciples love me? And Peter says, you know that I do. He's like, Peter, Peter, do you, do you love me? You know. Peter, do you, do you love me? Jesus, you know. You know that I do. And what you see is that Peter has moved from being self-righteous to surrender. His heart has changed. He's been broken, and really what we see is God's mercy to restore him. Jesus gave Peter what he didn't deserve because of his mercy. Mercy is such a huge word. Grace is such a huge word. And John chooses to end this, this gospel understanding God's grace and God's mercy a little more. And then in understanding God's grace and God's mercy that you might believe and that you might find life. And no matter how great you think you are, no matter how great a Christ follower you think you are, if you think that you're a great Christ follower, then you might have it wrong right there. But no matter how great you think you are, there will be times where you will fall. There will be times where you will fail. And God's mercy stands ready to forgive. I think of those two words, but God. If not for God's mercy in Christ on the cross, we would be hopeless and we would be helpless. Hopefully over 23 weeks you have understood that. Hopefully if you don't quite understand that, that you would keep seeking and find that that's true. But God because of his forgiveness, because of his mercy, because of his grace, that we can stand faultless before the throne. But God. Old Puritan preacher put it this way, there's more mercy in Christ than sin in us. And I think some of us struggle with that. I know I've struggled with that. God, why would you? <laughs> because I love you. God, I would never. He's like, yeah, but you're not me. <laughs> True forgiveness is found in the mercy of God. True forgiveness is found at the end of ourselves. We need to experience God's forgiveness because it's a, it's a sin issue. It's a surrender issue. It's a pride issue. It's not about being good enough. It's about being born again. And that only happens in Christ. That's our only hope. But we need to be broken 
and we need to be contrite. And not just the fake, like, oh, I'm so sad. Sometimes, and I don't mean everything that happens at camp is fake, but I mean, sometimes we get caught up in that emotion. We're like, yes, I see it. But that moment where you, you come to the real reality that I, I'm bankrupt. I have no hope, God, to ever repay you, ever to pay you. I can do nothing. When you come to that point, you come to the beginning of understanding forgiveness a little bit. And you can become to the beginning of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that's what he does with Peter. And we're not going to get into all those things, and we're, we're pretty much done. Because it's not, at this point, it's not about all those things. Those things you can preach on, you can understand, you can dig into more of that. But I want you to see the big picture of this, that this is really a story of God's mercy. And we all need to experience God's mercy in our lives. And that happens through Jesus, and that happens because of the cross and the hope that we find at the cross and at the resurrection. And what does Jesus ultimately say to Peter? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep. That what he says to him is, not only am I restoring you, but I'm recommissioning you. I'm commissioning you to go do the work that I've called you to. And none of it was about what Peter has done. All of it was about what God has done in him and through him. That's our only hope. That I trust Jesus as Savior and I follow him as Lord. That I, I follow Jesus. I, I am transformed by Jesus. I'm on mission with Jesus. And all of it from beginning to end is because of what Jesus has done in me. And as I surrender to him, that he changes my life. He transforms me. And that I'm on mission with him by his power, by his strength, doing what he's called me to do. Not by what I think I should do, but really but what he's doing in me and through me. And it's important to know, too, that they're, that they're not my sheep. Jesus says very clearly earlier in John that my sheep know my voice. I'm the great shepherd. I don't look at myself as I am a, uh, you're not my sheep. Just so we're clear. That you belong to God. That God gives us opportunities to be able to do what we do and to speak like this, but but really, we are, I am, we are stewards, we're not owners. That we, that we together are the church. That we together belong to the great shepherd. If I can help facilitate you growing toward Christ's likeness, I would love for that to happen. If I can help you to take a step toward Jesus, that's what I want to happen but you're not mine and I'm not yours, but we are together the body of Christ because of Jesus. And so I want to do all that I can to help you to understand that. And I don't know how much more I can do after the book of John to help you to understand that. But may you, after 23 weeks of the gospel of John, may you have an, a better idea of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to what he has done and who he is, because ultimately, you and I are faced with the same question, is what will you do with Jesus? And he says to follow me, and you say, nope. Or you say, uh, I'm not really sure. Or you say, yeah, I will. And that decision will change everything. But until you come to the end of yourself, you will not experience God's forgiveness and God's mercy and God's salvation in Christ, which is the most important thing.